We're truly honored that you're watching the program again. And once more, we hope and pray that you're telling your friends and neighbors about it. Worship with us now at the Rainbow Drive Church of Christ, 2201 Rainbow Drive in Gadsden. Our worship hour is at 1030. Our, our Bible study is at 930. And our evening worship hour at 6 o'clock p.m. Then on Wednesday nights at 7 o'clock p.m., we have our uh, midweek Bible study. Also on the night of December the 3rd, the evening now, December the 3rd, I'm going to tell at the Rainbow Congregation the story of my conversion from the Roman Catholic faith to New Testament Christianity. And we just hope that we're going to have a great crowd that night. If you've never heard that story, then take advantage of being with us that night on December the 3rd, the evening of December the 3rd. Many, many people at Rainbow Drive haven't heard it. We've got so many people that have come to Rainbow Drive in the last five, six, seven years. And... And that it was good seven, eight years ago, nine years ago, I guess, when I told that story at Rainbow Drive. So the elders decided that since there's so many people there who haven't heard it, uh, that they would like to have them hear it. So I'll be telling that on December the 3rd, the evening of that particular day. And we want to invite all of the people in our television audience to come and hear that particular lesson and to worship God in spirit and truth. The Bible teaches, I believe, as plainly as it teaches anything on the face of this earth, that God and Jesus want more than anyone else in this universe. And when you talk about God or Jesus, you've got to talk about the universe. They want more than anybody in this universe for mankind to be saved, for every person on the face of this earth to be saved. That's why Jesus said in John 3 and 16, God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth on him should not perish but have everlasting life. That's why Isaiah said he would be wounded for our transgression, bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace would be laid upon him. By his stripes would we be healed. And God hath laid upon him the iniquities of us all. That's why Peter said in 1 Peter 2 and 24 that he bore our sins in his body on the tree so that we might be dead to sin. That's why Paul said in Romans 5 verses 7 and 8 that he commended his love toward us. And while we were yet sinners, Jesus died for us. That's why John said in 1 John 4 and 8, God is love. The Bible teaches beyond a shadow of a doubt that God's deep concern and deep love for mankind is what motivated him to send his son into this world to pay the price for you and for me, to die for you and for me, to pay the price for sin. And certainly the Bible teaches that the reason Jesus came into the world, Luke 19 and 10, is, was to seek and to save the lost. So God wants more than anybody in this universe for mankind to go to heaven, for you to go to heaven, for me to go to heaven. That's why he sent his son. Jesus came into the world, became a little lower than the angels so that he could taste death for every man because he wants so desperately for all of us to go to heaven. So in this lesson tonight, I want to call this lesson this morning, I should say, the God of the second chance. Not only the second chance, but the third chance, the fourth chance, the fifth chance, and sometimes the 20th chance. He keep, keeps and keeps on giving people opportunity after opportunity to get right with him because of his love for mankind, because of his desire for mankind to be saved. That's why Peter said in Second Peter 3 and 9, God is not slack concerning his promises, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering, not willing that any should perish, but all should come under repentance. When God told Jonah to go and preach to the Ninevites, gave him a direct command, Jonah refused. The reason he refused is because the Ninevites were Assyrians, and the Assyrians were not Israelites, and Jonah had the problem that many people today have. He was racially prejudiced. He felt like Israelites were the only ones that he should deal with. The other Israelites were the only people that he should have any 
thing uh, to do with it. So he refused to go to Nineveh, did exactly the opposite as God told him, and hopped a boat, if you will, towards Tarshish. Tarshish. Now, he rejected God. He, he refused to obey God. He obviously displeased God very, very much. But our God of love and our God of mercy gave him that second chance. Now, it took a terrible, tempestuous storm. It took Jonah being thrown overboard. It took God creating a great and huge fish for the purpose of swallowing Jonah so that Jonah could be in the belly of that fish for three days and three nights where he did much meditating and much praying and much thinking. And when Jonah was spit up on the beach, he redeemed himself. And he went to Nineveh and he preached to those people because God gave him the second chance. The story of David. My study of David, I've concluded, I believe, that when David committed his sin with Bathsheba, when he had Uriah sent to the front lines and had him slain, David did not at that time believe that he was doing anything wrong. He did not think that he was sinning. He evidently felt that his position as king gave him the prerogative to do those things, that his position as, ki as king gave him the authority to do those things. If he wanted another man's wife, he evidently felt as king he had the right to the other man's wife. And if he wanted to have a man slain, he evidently felt as king he had the right to have the man slain, even if it was unjust, even if it was, if it was contrary to everything right and decent. Now, the reason I come to that conclusion is because in 2 Samuel 12, when God sent the prophet Nathan to David, Nathan told David this parable about the wealthy king who had all this livestock, had access to so much livestock, and this poor man that lived in the same town and had one little ewe lamb, and that ewe lamb was very important to that poor man. It was a part of the family. It was like a pet. It sat in the poor man's uh, lap and uh, grew up with his children, ate from his table, and anybody who has a pet at home that they're very close to can understand how the stranger, how close this poor man was to this ewe lamb. We had a little dog named Sandy that lived with us for some 13 years. I bought that little dog, brought her home from a pet shop, just a little, real little old thing for our children when they were small, and Sandy lived for 13 years and just became a part of our house. And one day Sandy died, and it was very, very depressing time for me. I wept over it, cried over it. It was She had become a part of our family, and it just took some time to adjust to her being gone. So people that have pets and grow and become close to those pets will know how, how this poor man felt when the rich man took his one little old ewe lamb. Well, anyway, the stranger came in to visit the rich man, and the rich man, the rich king, instead of taking from... His abundance of livestock and feeding that stranger, he took that one little ewe lamb from that poor man and gave it to the stranger. Now, Nathan said to David, what do you think of that man? What do you think of his attitude? And David was incensed, absolutely wrathful. David said, the man ought to die. Why, well, he ought to be made to repay fourfold. Isn't it amazing, friends and brethren, how we human beings can see the weaknesses of everyone else, the mistakes that everyone else makes and can't see our own. Isn't it amazing that Nathan could be telling this parable that directly dealt with what David had done with Bathsheba and Uriah, and David could not see himself in it. He could see other people. He could see the mistakes of the man that Nathan was talking about, but he couldn't see himself. Well, now Nathan said to him, you are the man. You're the one that I'm talking about. You had an a harem of wives, God allowing polygamy back then. And if you'd have wanted more, God would have given you more. You had everything that a person could possibly want. What did you do? You took the wife of Uriah the Hittite and you committed adultery. 
You had Uriah slain. That's what Nathan said. That David had Uriah slain. Now, when David realized that he had made a mistake, when he realized that he had done wrong, when he realized that God was giving him that second chance, he wrote that beautiful and memorable 51st Psalm. When he said, O God, be merciful unto me, according to thy loving kindness, according to thy tender mercies, according to the multitude of thy tender mercies, blot out my transgressions, wash me thoroughly from my sin, cleanse me from my iniquity, for my sin is ever before me, and against thee and thee only have I sinned. David was a man, according to Paul in Acts 13 and 22, that was, a, that was after God's own heart. Why do you think he was after God's own heart? Well, now, the reason I believe he was after God's own heart is because when David saw that he was wrong, when God pointed out to David that he had made, been mistaken, that he had sinned, David did not blame another person on the face of this earth. David didn't say, well, if Bathsheba hadn't been bathing out there on the rooftop that night and tempted me, I never would have committed adultery with her. He didn't say, well, if Uriah would have gone home when I told him to go home and, uh, and uh, so that people would have thought that he sired the baby, I wouldn't have had to send him to the front lines and had him slain. He didn't blame anyone else. He said, oh, God, be merciful unto me according to thy loving kindness, according to thy tender mercies. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity. Cleanse me from my sin, for my sin is ever before me. David recognized when he sinned that he had no one else on the face of this earth to blame except himself. And he repented of his sin. The great mistake that so many people make today is, is they sin and they blame everybody else for their sins. And they see no need to repent themselves because they don't think they're guilty. They're just like David was before God made him aware of his sin. They evidently don't think that they've sinned. They don't think they've done wrong. Everybody else has sinned, but they don't sin. What a terrible, terrible dilemma many people are in when they have David's attitude in the sense before David was aware of his sin in the sense that they don't need to repent of what they do that's wrong. David was made aware of his sin and he repented of his sin because God gave him a second chance. That's the kind of a God that we worship. When Jesus was hanging on Calvary's cross, he prayed in Luke 23 and 34, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Jesus was asking his heavenly Father to forgive the very people who crucified him, the very people who put him to death. Did God answer that prayer? Did God give those people a second chance? He surely did. Read in Acts, the second chapter, the 22nd verse on the day of Pentecost, where Peter said, Ye men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved by God with miracles, signs, and wonders, which he did in your midst, as you already know, by the predetermined counsel and foreknowledge of God, ye have taken and with wicked hands ye have crucified our Lord and our Savior. Peter was preaching to many of the people who were instrumental in the death of Jesus Christ. Many of those people who stood outside of Pilate's hall and cried out, Crucify him, and let his blood be on us and our children. Here was God giving the very people who had crucified his son a second chance. And 3,000 people on the day of Pentecost took advantage of God's love, God's mercy, responded to heaven's first invitation of the Christian dispensation, and were baptized into Christ for the remission of their sins. Because we have that God who gives people that second chance. That God who so desperately wants mankind to be saved. That God who so desperately wants every human being on the face of this earth to be with him for that never-ending eternity in a land that is so much better and so much more beautiful than this one. 
The story of the prodigal son, friends and brethren, is nothing more than a story of God's love, God's mercy, God's willingness to give people second and third chances. You all know the story. The younger brother demands his inheritance, receives it, goes off into the far country, wastes his substance on riotous living. A famine comes in over the land. He's now penniless. He goes to a citizen of the country. The citizen of the country gives him the task of feeding the husk to the swine. He's so desperate that he's about to eat those very husks himself when the thought comes to him that his father's hired servants have it better than he, and he'll go home. Not as a, not as his son, but as a hired servant. He makes that long journey across the country, and the father who represents God is standing on the wayside watching for him to come home. He sees the son afar off, and he races to him. The son says, Father, I'm not worthy to be called thy son. I have sinned against heaven and against thee. Make unto thee, me, thee one of thy hired servants. But the father says, bring out the best robe that we have and put it on his back. Put a ring on his finger and shoes on his feet and slay the fatted calf. For this my son which was dead is alive. This my son which was lost is found. Here's the father representing God, giving this prodigal son that second chance, lifting him from the depths of degradation from the depths of sin, from going about as low in life as a person could possibly go. His old elder brother accused him of wasting his substance on harlots. Here was God forgiving that prodigal son when he came home. The God of the second chance. Even the story of the elder son, friends and brethren, I'm convinced that it's a story of God giving a person a second chance. The elder son, I'm convinced was a sinner just as certain as the prodigal son was a sinner. A different kind of a sinner now, but nevertheless a sinner. You remember the story when he came in from the field and he heard this music and he da and dancing and he required of what it was all about. And the servant said to him, well, your father has received your brother safe and sound and he has brought out the fatted calf and slayed it. And now hear this. The elder son became angry and he would not go in. He wouldn't join in the celebration. What did the father do? The father came out, the Bible says, and he entreated him, pleaded with him, implored him, begged him to come in and join the celebration. The elder son said, Father, ever at any time have I transgressed that law, thy law, isn't that, friends and brethren, about the most egotistical statement that could fall from the lips of any human being on the face of this earth? Never at any time have I transgressed thy law. He just got through transgressing it. He became angry. Anger is a sin. Thank God that it's a sin that can be repented of because all of us at one time or another have gotten angry and all sin can be repented of, but I hope and pray that we all repent of that sin. I've allowed sometimes some incidents to cause me to become a little upset, but I've repented for it. Anger is a sin, friends and brethren. It doesn't make any difference. What the incident is doesn't make any difference how innocent you are. It doesn't make any difference how unjust the situation might be. You've got no right to get angry. When a person get ang gets angry, he sins. The prodigal son became unjustly angry. He sinned, but then turned right around and said to his father, Never at any time have I transgressed thy law. Thou gavest me no kid, that me and my friends might be merry. From now this thy younger son, who hath wasted his substance on Harlots comes home. You brought out the fatted calf and you slayed it. The father says to the elder son, Son, everything I have is thine. You ought to know that. But it's meet that we should be merry. 
For this thy brother which was dead is alive. This thy brother which was lost is found. Here's the Father representing God, giving a second chance to a sinner. It may not have been guilty of the physical sin of adultery. It may not have been guilty of the physical sin of going off into the far country and wasting his substance on riotous living. But he was guilty of the sin of the wrong disposition, the wrong attitude. Guilty of the sin of not serving his father out of the real for the right for the right reasons and the right purpose. Guilty of the sin of wanting everything for himself and not loving his brother. Guilty of the sin of of being jealous and envious of his brother when his father welcomed him home. But the father gave him that second chance. That's the kind of a God, friends and brethren, that we worship. The God of the second chance, the God who loves all of us so very much. The God who's so long-suffering. The God who's so patient. The God who so desperately wants us to come into a covenant relationship with Him. That's our Heavenly Father. That's the God that we worship. About, we worship, And that's the God that we read about in the Bible. But now, as great a news as it is that God loves us so much and wants so desperately for us to come home, wants so desperately for all of mankind to obey His Son, the Bible also teaches that there comes a time when the patience of God runs out. I want you to open your Bibles, if you have them handy, with me to Proverbs, the first chapter. And I'm going to read, beginning with the 23rd verse, rather than quoting these verses, because I don't want them to go over your head. I want you to know that this comes from the Word of God. Where the Solomon, I believe, writing says, Turn you at my reproof. Reproof, talking now, this God writing, God speaking through Solomon. Behold, I will pour out my spirit unto you, and I will make known my words unto you. Because I have called, and ye refused. I have stretched out my hand, and no man regarded. But ye have said it not, all my counsel, and would none of my reproof. I also will laugh at your calamity. I will mock when your fear cometh. When your fear cometh as desolation, and your destruction cometh as a whirlwind. When distress and anguish cometh upon you, then shall they call upon me. But I will not answer. They shall seek me early, but they shall not find me. For they that hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord. They would none of my counsel. They despise all of my reproof. Therefore shall they eat of the fruit of their own way and be filled with their own devices. For the turning away of the simple shall slay them, and the prosperity of fools shall destroy them. But whoso hearkeneth unto me shall dwell safely and shall be quiet in the fear of evil. Friends and brethren, we've got to preach the entire counsel of God. And as much as we must preach the mercy of God and the love of God, the long-suffering of God and the patience of God, we've got to preach what Proverbs 1 tells us about God. That there comes a time when God's patience runs out. Have you ever seen people that reject God all of their lives, live any old way that they choose to live, hear the gospel, pay no attention to the gospel, then on their deathbeds they all start begging for mercy and preachers will say, oh, they were saved. Just like the thief on the cross, don't compare, friends and brethren, any person today in the United States of America making a deathbed confession after having rejected the Lord all of their lives with a thief on the cross. The indications are that the thief on the cross was hearing about Jesus for the first time. He didn't go through his life rejecting Jesus. He didn't go through his life spurning Jesus. He didn't go through his life planning to make himself right just before he died and sowing to the wind and having his cake and eating it too. That isn't what he did. 
When he heard the truth, he was obedient to the truth in that dispensation before the Christian dispensation was in effect. During the Mosaic Age when Jesus Christ was on earth and when Jesus saved people in any manner that he saw fit to save them. But don't compare, friends and brethren, deathbed confessions with people in America today who have rejected the Lord all of their lives, who have access to the Bible every day of their lives, have access to preaching, have heard of Jesus, can, can easily investigate whether Jesus was whom he claimed to be or not, and refuse to do all that, so to the wind all of their life, and then on their deathbeds start begging for mercy. Does not the, proverb, the writer of Proverbs in the first chapter says that that God is not going to hear that type person? Does not the writer say that if a person tries to mock God, he's only fooling himself? Isn't that what Paul said in Galatians 6 and 7? Be not deceived, for God is not mocked. Whatsoever a man soweth, that's what he shall reap. If he sows of the Spirit, of the Spirit he'll reap life everlasting. He sows of the flesh, of the flesh he'll reap corruption. God's patience runs out. Equally as, equally as uh, disturbing as that, equally as, uh, should make us equally as afraid and cause us to think about this as the fact that the Bible teaches. There comes a time in the lives of some people when their hearts become so hard it becomes impossible for them to repent. Hebrews, the sixth chapter, the fourth verse. It is impossible for those who have been once enlightened, have tasted of the heavenly gift, been made partakers of the Holy Ghost, tasted of the good word of God and the powers of the world to come, if they should fall away to renew them again into repentance, seeing they crucify to themselves the Son of God afresh and place Him to an open shame. Jesus says in Matthew, the 13th chapter, the 15th verse, these people's hearts are wax gross. Their eyes are closed and their ears are dull of hearing. Lest they should see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and I should convert them. First John 5 and 16, if I can paraphrase that verse, John says, you see a man that sinned the sin that's not unto death, pray for him. But if he has sinned the sin unto death, I tell you, it's no use to pray for him. You see, what the Bible teaches is, is that people can say no to the Lord for so long. So many times that their hearts become hardened and it becomes impossible for them to repent. God is the God of second chance, the third chance, the fourth chance, the twentieth chance. But so many people say no to him for so long and so often, it becomes impossible for them to say yes to him. The Pharaoh that we read about uh, with Moses in the plagues, the Lord would send a plague to Pharaoh and boy, he had turn around right away and repent right away and then just a little while after when, the, when, the, when everything was over go right back to the lifestyle that he'd been living. The Lord sent him a number of plagues and finally, finally hardened his heart because the Lord, as the writer of Proverbs said, just became frustrated and discouraged with the Pharaoh's constant rejecting of him, constant spurning of him. There's no indication, friends and brethren, that the elder son ever took advantage of the second chance that God gave him. Saul was given many chances, the first king of Israel. No indication that he ever took advantage of those opportunities. All indications are that he died in a situation where he was not right with God. God gives us those second and third and fourth and fifth chances, but we've got to accept them, friends and brethren. We've got to turn to the Lord. If we're aliens, if we're outside of the, outside of the church of our Lord, we never obeyed the gospel, we have to believe that Jesus is the Son of God. We've got to confess Him before men. We have to repent of our sins. We must be baptized into Him for the remission of sins where we contact the blood of our Savior and He then redeems us. We have got to do this. And you can say no to the Lord to the point where it would be impossible for you to say yes. And there are people in that condition. I don't know who they are. You don't know who they are. God knows who they are. But there are people in that condition. 
Then there's people that were once in a covenant relationship with the Lord that have drifted off into the world and have said no to the Lord so many times that it becomes impossible for them to come back to the Lord. Impossible for them to do what's right. I'm going to conclude by telling you a story that I read a few weeks ago that touched me very deeply. It might touch you. The story concerns a man, a young boy by the name of Roswell McIntyre was drafted into the Union Army during the Civil War. Now, the war wasn't going well at that time, so the young McIntyre boy was sent almost immediately to the front lines. And he did what any human being is capable of doing. He panicked. He became afraid, and he ran. Well, he was apprehended and convicted of desertion and sentenced to be executed by a firing squad. Well, young McIntyre's mother, the boy's mother, wrote a letter to Abraham Lincoln pleading for her son's life, pleading for a second opportunity for him pointing out that he wasn't a bad boy, that he just simply wasn't prepared for the battle, and he did what a lot of people would do under those circumstances. Well, Mr. Lincoln contacted the generals and asked if they could show the boys some mercy, if some mercy could be shown the boys, and the general said, absolutely not. We've got to make an example of him. If we allow him to get away with this, if we don't execute him, then it's only going to encourage other young men to desert. So Mr. Lincoln had to make the decision. According to the article that I read, Mr. Lincoln prayed about it, told the generals that they would hear from him and he would tell them what to do. He prayed about it and then he wrote the following letter, as near verbatim as I can recall it now. Dear sirs, it has been my observation, the letter written to the generals, dear sirs, it has been my observation that shooting a young man does him very little good. And this letter is to certify that Roswell McIntyre is to be readmitted into the New York Cavalry. And if he serves out his present term in honor and dignity, all charges of desertion against him are to be dropped. That letter is on display in the signed Abraham Lincoln in his, in his own handwriting. That letter is on display in the Library of Congress. Alongside of the letter, there's a little notation. The notation reads, This letter was found on the body of Roswell McIntyre who died in the Battle of Five Forks in Virginia. Mr. Lincoln had given the young McIntyre boy a second chance, and he redeemed himself. God has given us, friends and brethren, so many chances, and yet we fail to redeem ourselves. We fail to take advantage of the second chances and third chances and fourth chances and fifth chances that God has given us. I, for one, am grateful that he's a God of such love. I'm, for one, and grateful that he's a God of such mercy. I'm, for one, and grateful that he's a God of such patience. Because I've made mistakes. And you've made mistakes. And all of us make mistakes. And it doesn't make any difference how hard I try to do that which is right. I still make mistakes. But God is always there to hear the prayer. Forgive me, Father. Forgive me for my sins. He's always there to welcome that alien sinner into the fold who repents and is baptized for the mission of his or her sins. But the one thing that God cannot do, because if he did it, it would be infringing upon our free wills that he's made us free moral agents. He's given us a free will. He cannot save us against our wills. He can't do that. We have to submit to his teaching in order for him to save us. So my plea to all of the people in this assembly, television assembly this morning is, take advantage of God's love, God's mercy, and God's patience. Don't say no to God to the point where God will reject you, 
or to the point where your heart will become hardened to where it will be impossible for you to accept him. If you're not a New Testament Christian, if you've never obeyed the gospel, be baptized into Christ this very day. If you're a delinquent child of God, come back to the Lord this very day. God bless all of you. Thank you so much for watching this program.